and get started. Welcome back. You made it. I'm amazed. You've uh, so you pat yourself on the back or something. I don't know. Part two, journey launch training. I'm really stoked for you guys to be here. So um, let me just uh, get us started with a word of prayer, and I'm going to turn it over to Mary. But we are thrilled that you're here, and we're thrilled to continue this uh, second part together. So, Father, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for uh, just each person here who uh, has made an investment in their walk with you, and in knowing you, and reflecting you in the world, and and I pray that you would uh, use this time uh, to encourage each one of us, um, enlighten each one of us, show us the places uh, where we're maybe... Uh, assuming uh, or living out of a out of out of a system that's that's not truth or not grounded in your grace, and uh, give us draw us into the freedom of living from this place of uh, what you've done and who you've called us to be in Christ. And uh, so I just pray for Mary's words today and uh, our time that we discover the truth that you you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you don't know Mary, she's awesome. Come on in, Mary. Uh, is a, a good friend, companion on the leadership journey, and it, it works with us um, super closely. Spends way too many hours probably for her uh, to work with me, and uh, we're just really thrilled about her. So if you, if she's our former women's pastor from from years past, and um, I think having uh, maybe some of the most fun in ministry these days. I don't Lots, know. Of fun. Lots of fun. Maybe not the most fun. Some fun. I'm fun to work with. So. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Come on up. Yeah. Uh, I think sorry. you better stop while you're ahead. <laughs> yeah. Now I have to unpack because I forgot to do that in all my chatterings with people. <clears throat> well, that was a nice introduction, Matt. Better than the last time when he called me Yoda. <laughs> And then said, but I was sprightly. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm remembering this, Matt, and I think I'm going to use this so that we save my throat, which has had coughing problems. So is this going to be okay? Too much echo? Okay. So here we are, second part. A reminder where we were. On Wednesday night, although I wasn't with you, I have my family from England with us. My daughter and son-in-law and three kids. And, uh, yeah, it's been really special. And they arrived last Wednesday night, so I took the opportunity to stay home and just welcome them home. So it's been wild. Um, Food goes into the refrigerator, doesn't have a chance to cool, and comes immediately out. (laughs) So it's been been wild. Keeping that puppy full is going to be the trick for the next few weeks because they don't leave until the 31st. But such a good... Such a good time with them. So where we were Wednesday was looking at uh, the whole idea of what we want for our people at Cedar Mill, and that is to have lives that are growing in the Lord Jesus, becoming more and more like him, which is the whole journey that uh, Christ sets before us. This is God's purpose for us, that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we decided that the best way for us all to talk about it, since there are so many, so much verbiage, but all the different languages that we use to talk about being conformed to his image has baggage. So we thought, let's use a metaphor, the metaphor of the journey. And you began talking about that. 
on Wednesday night. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I was thinking about metaphors, and metaphors, you know, we can study something from the outside, and we can learn a lot about it, but with a metaphor, it's like putting a candle on the inside of something and having be illuminated from a different place. And that's what metaphors do for us. It allows us to see something about life in a different way and be able to compare it to something where we can put a hook on it and attach it to something we already know. And the journey is that for us because we've all taken journeys, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Some of you have been on journey this summer. Well, the spiritual life is like one too. And how do we... I mean, to, to name it as the journey is one thing, but to talk about how do we go about living it, well, that's another thing, right? That's a totally uh, new animal that we have to discover. And what I want to say this morning is basically that the way of the journey is grace. Now, what is grace? It's kind of God's delivery system for love. Right? Because God is love. God so loved the world that he saved. And how does he give it to us? He gives it to us through grace. You know, for um, grace is the, the means by which he marches us through this life. In Romans, Paul says that we stand in this grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We stand in it. In other words, we're awash. Grace surrounds us. And then in 2 Corinthians 9.8, Paul tells us that God is able to make all grace abound to us so that in all things, at all times, in every way, we have everything we need because of grace so that we can produce good works and good fruit. And that's where we're going to end up today. But it's often the place where people start worrying about their good works and the fruitfulness of their lives. And it's all backwards. I read this wonderful little book, and um, perhaps it will come up on the screen. It's a book called The Cycle of Grace, and it's by Trevor Hudson and Jerry Haas. And it's a great book. Uh, would be a good book for a small group to do at some point because it challenges you to think about how you do life and where you start and what your works even are based on. So this book was based on the work of uh, a woman by the name of Anne Long, and then her work was taken and further developed by um, a Frank Lake, who was a British psychologist, and uh, Emile Bruner, who was a, a theologian. And what Anne found out as she was studying a phenomena that she saw in India was that many workers who went to India with wonderful ideas, great plans, solid believers, they went there and unfortunately they bailed. They burned out. And she wondered why is it that some and so many do that? And so these people began to study and look at, we wonder if there is something now that we can compare with the life of Jesus and see what went wrong for these people. Now, how many of you know of someone or something that is burned out? How many of you have been there? <coughs> Where you think, man, I can't go on. You become cynical. You lose energy. Uh, you lose the ability to discern purpose. 
you lose your will to keep going. You know, there are many, many wonderful works that are started in this world that simply end in a puff of smoke, and people walk away from them. And unfortunately, what they found was that um, some of these people not only walked away from the mission that they had gone to do, which was a wonderful mission, but they also walked away from faith. And so the question is, what went wrong? What went wrong? And as they compared the life of these people who bailed out, gave up, left, discouraged, disillusioned, cynical, compared it to the life of Jesus, they saw that they started at the wrong place and they went the wrong way. And so they wrote this book called The Cycle of Grace, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Grace is the way of the journey. If we're not walking in grace, we're not going to make it. And so we have to figure out how do we do that and what will trap us or snare us or keep us from moving in that direction. So we have to start with looking at two things that stimulate, motivate, move us. And those two things are acceptance and significance. Everybody in this world wants to be accepted. And by that I mean not grudgingly allowed to enter. Right. So there, maybe you've been in one of those situations. I can remember, because I was not athletic, being grudgingly accepted on those teams in grade school where, you know, the good guys got to choose the teams and then some of us were left to the last choice. And I was one of those last choice girls. And, of course, they said, yay, Mary, and I got to join the team. But I was not embraced. And they found ways to significantly... Uh, diminish my opportunity to wreck things for the team. <laughs> so, so maybe you've been there in terms of acceptance. What we, what we all want is this wonderful embrace, this total embrace of who we are and to be loved. That's what we mean by this kind of acceptance. And then we all want to be significant. We all want to count and matter. We want what we do to count and matter. We want to do something purposeful and meaningful where we have value. Now, the instructive story is in Genesis because those two needs are not bad things. In fact, they were wired into us to be worked out at creation. Think about creation. We could go back there and read the story, but God said to the company of God, to the Trinitarian presence, let us make man in our image. And what was man to do? Be fruitful. Loudly. Be fruitful and multiply. What else? That might have been the fun part, but what else were we supposed to do? Take dominion of the Take dominion of the world. Rule. Take uh, care of the garden. Take care of the garden. Name the animals. He had all this specific, and this was before Adam or Eve did anything. They just were, in the mind of God, people who would do this. They didn't have to earn that significance. They were significant. And God made them so. And then we're told by David in the Psalms, uh, once again, that God made man a little lower than yes, the heavenly beings, crowned with honor and glory. And how do we know that man was 
embraced, accepted in this wholehearted love. Because in the garden, how did they relate with God? It's okay to face. Walked with him face to face, conversation. And it must have been often enough so that they knew when God would be coming because they hid themselves, right? And God was looking for them. So God established at the very beginning that we are loved and that we have value. And we didn't have to do a thing. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? So those two needs are primary needs for us, and they are meant to be fulfilled. How were they to be fulfilled? From the Father, right? Yes, that's where our significance and our our acceptance has to be founded. But what happens when we short-circuit, well, it is kind of a circus, too, (laughs) if we do it another way, when we step out of the order of God, what happens? There's a mess. And that's where we have to start when we talk about the cycle of grace, because there's an alternate cycle that we all are in at some times, and that's the cycle of works. So let's look at that. And you have a picture of it there, uh, the cycle of works. And I want you to put a little star where it says fruit, because that's step one. And beside the word fruit, write works. Okay, because fruit is a result of the work. So what happens in the cycle of works? Well, we begin there with an attempt to be accepted and to find our significance through what we do. And as believers, it's often through our ministry. Now, this is scary when we think about that, that we, even as believers, attempt to be accepted and significant because of what we do for the Lord. So, we want our work to bear fruit. We are asking, how can I earn my place? So we work hard to prove that we are important, and we hope to be accepted by other people and by systems. And you know, those things, when we put our hopes to be accepted and our hopes to be significant in other people and in systems, they become idols because we go to them for what only God can give us. And so we become idol worshipers in a way. So we have to reflect honestly on this for ourselves. And it's, you know, but I hope you, I hope you can recognize times in your life where you've been there and done that. And you know what? We probably slip into it and out of it more than we ever realize. And when our whole focus is on how am I going to look, how will I appear, who will care, then we're probably operating in this place, starting at the place of works. Because what happens in the, in the cycle of works? In the cycle, of course, the cycle goes round and round, okay, and we'll see how that happens. But it is a road to burnout. And if we start with works, trying to earn our acceptance and be significant, then... We hope to have fruit that's going to count for the kingdom, but we're working on it to get there. So we hope for significance. We want to matter. We want to say, I count, I matter, I'm important, I'm needed. And the thing is, what happens when we can no longer work? What happens? Yeah, you're right. Down the tubes, right? 
All right, so you think about what happens to maybe a mother and the kids fly the nest. And now, who am I? Do I matter? Do I count? What happens when retirement comes and we are no longer applauded, lauded, needed uh, for our information, our expertise, and we have to step down? What happens to us? Who are we? Are we significant? Do we matter? Do we count? Now think about it. Significant health issues can come. Disability can come. Do I matter? In our culture, we struggle to matter if those things happen to us. What happens when we are frail and elderly? I'm moving to that place. I'm not yet frail, but I'm I'm one of the young, older people. <laughs> but you know what? What happens to our elderly? Do they matter anymore? Do they count? And you see, then our whole system of making life work and finding our significance, there's no way to work at it anymore, right? But for those of us who are still able, we jump on the works thing. And so I will prove myself to you that you need me in your organization, in your ministry, because I can do, do, do for you, you, you. And that's what I'll do. And I'll try and become significant for you. And I move from that to a place of sustenance because you know what? I did this wonderful thing and everybody applauded me and I became significant for the moment. But you know everybody only gets their 15 minutes of fame. So that means that now I must sustain that which I have gained through my works by doing more and doing better and bigger. Right? You've been in that? So the boss compliments you because you did something really well. And now what are you going to have to do? Bigger, better, more, because they're all counting on you. And this is what our country, our culture actually, is built on. Bigger, better, more, more. And so we work harder and harder. The problem is that the harder we work, the faster we run, there's never a stopping point. This is a cycle that we get into. So we do we have to do more work, don't we? All right. So it we didn't our significance doesn't last when we're working in out of this system at all. It does not last. We'll have to do more. And I love uh, a description of this, actually, at least I think it describes it. It's in Isaiah chapter 30, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there. <clears throat> and these are verses that are often uh, quoted, actually. <clears throat> uh, about uh, verse uh, 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we'll flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. In other words, running faster, working harder will get you nowhere. Again in Isaiah chapter 50, um, a great little verse there at the end. 
Once again, the admonition is to trust the Lord, to put our uh, rest in the significance he gives us. And he says, uh, verse uh, 10, let, who, let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. In other words, put your thing, your all your eggs in that basket, folks. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires. In other words, go ahead, do it. And this is what will happen. The torches that you have set ablaze. this is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment because there's no end to it. It is a cycle that wears us out and wears us down. And it is a road to burnout. So whatever significance I have, I try to keep by my constant work. And the whole thing is, I am trying to get to the place of this total embrace, to be totally, really accepted in a loving embrace. This is what I really want. This is what I'm really after. It's more important than significance to me to know that I am loved, that there is a place for me that I am owned and treasured and cherished. I'm asking you, is there a place at the table for me? A place that I'm wanted? Is there someone who cares and loves me? That's what we all want, isn't it? We all want it but ever insecure, because I am in this cycle of works, ever insecure, I'll have to do more work, and I'll start the cycle over again. Because I can't trust an acceptance and an embrace that comes from you. You're as fallible as I am. And I know that my love has limits. Much as I like to say, I'm perfect. I am not. And how have I found that out? By living with you all. Right? (laughs) And you found it out by living with me. That we are not perfect. We do not have perfect love. And so I can't count on any of you holding that spot in your heart for me forever. Right? So that's the cycle of works. And it's deadly because it leads to burnout. Where we lose focus. And what I want you to ponder for yourself right now are those questions on that, in that box. And I'm not going to ask you whether or not your work and ministry are driven by your need to be accepted. What I want to ask you now is, to what extent does my need for significance and acceptance drive me? To what extent? Because we all fall into this place where at times in our insecurity, we move back into a cycle of works trying to prove ourselves by what we do rather than who we are. So take a minute. I won't give you long, but I just want you to ponder that for yourself and ask to what extent am I driven by my need for significance and acceptance? And as a corollary, you might ask yourself, 
what are the things that make me move to doing works to gain those things? What are the things that move me there? In a culture like ours, it doesn't take much. Well, Jesus did not live life this way. And this is the exciting thing I have to say today. Jesus did not live life this way. He was not caught up in the cycle of works, even though he did many. But he never burned out. He never got cynical. He never lost his purpose, his energy. He never gave up on mission. He stayed the course all the way. And why? Because he started in the cycle of grace at acceptance. So I want you to put a star there by acceptance on the cycle of grace. I'm not even looking at these, but I'm assuming that eventually, you know, those things come up on the screen. But anyway, so you'll start at the cycle of start the cycle of grace at acceptance. Now, surely Jesus knew he was accepted all along, but there are two times in his life when heaven's curtains are opened and we get to hear God's total loving acceptance of Jesus. Baptism and transfiguration. Two key points in his life, okay? So at the baptism and at transfiguration, what was said to him by God that said, man, you're great, I love you, you belong? This is my son whom I'm well pleased. This is my son, my beloved one, in whom I am well pleased. Right. So this is my kid, right? I love him. I'm as pleased as punch with him. He couldn't be better. What glorious words for Jesus to hear. Now, he not only heard them, but he received them for himself. And all of us in our heads, if we are believers, have heard those words. But I know that there are maybe even some in this room who heard the words, and those words are stored in the head, but have never entered the heart. I know that because I traveled as a believer for a long time before they actually hit home in my heart and they became words for me. And I'll never forget it. I went to an Episcopal retreat, mind you. <laughs> and the focus of the three days of the retreat were faith, hope, and love. And by the time that retreat was over, all I could do was cry and say, I am the daughter of the king. And I owned it. And I've been a believer since I was eight years old. But suddenly, in my early 30s, it was like, oh my gosh, this is real. I belong to him. And he, I'm embraced by the king. I'm a daughter. Wow. Amen. Amen. Yeah, hallelujah. But you know, a lot of believers never walk there. And this is the question we have to have. Have I received those words? I love the words of Mary in the scriptures. Because not only is she visited by the angel and told, you know, you are highly regarded. But then she says as she meets Elizabeth uh, and they banter and she praises God and she says, the mighty one, the one who can do all things 
has done great things for me. She owns it, okay? And then she's able to to walk through what was difficult, difficult stuff for her. I mean, we, it's, Christmas is really pretty for us. Not so pretty for her, right? Not so pretty for her. Smells good for us. You know, cookies baking, apple cider, pies in the oven, you know, fir trees. Not so good for her. You know, cow dung. Mary walked through it all the way to the end. So, Jesus hears these words at his baptism, and it releases him to ministry. Now he'll go to the desert, where he'll be tested and tried, tempted for 40 days. And after that, it gets worse. Then he goes into ministry that is not only challenging, but dangerous. It, there's it, lots of deprivation in it, and maybe the worst part, he travels with 12 guys who don't get it. I mean, have you ever been with friends who just don't get it? They sometimes can be more challenging than all the things you don't have, right? So Jesus then goes out into this ministry, but he goes out with this assurance that you are my son, you belong, I love you, I couldn't be more pleased with you. And he goes into ministry that way. And so he can do the ministry that he was called to do without cynicism, without giving up. And there were many times, surely, that it would have been easy to have given up if it had been me. Okay. Now we hear those same words again at the Transfiguration. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And now he will move towards Jerusalem and face the full fury of sin and death. And he will go with the words, you are my beloved son. I am really pleased with you. And paradoxically, he will go to a place where the silence of God will be experienced. Think of that. How significant is it that God spoke those words to him before he would enter a time when Jesus would experience the silence of God? And we all have those moments in our lives, don't we? Where we experience the silence of God, where there's prayer that's not answered, where there's trials that we wonder if we can get through where we struggle and are in pain and feel betrayed and rejected. And have we heard the words, you're my kid, I love you, I'm so pleased with you. Jesus was able to go through the cross because he had those words ringing in his ears. He knew who he was and whose he was. And that gave him all that he needed to walk the journey, to stay on mission, to remain faithful to the call. Now we have to make this personal. So I want you to think for a minute. Are you at a place like Jesus was at baptism, ready to start something new, on the edge of an adventure, Maybe change is coming. And you need those words. You are my beloved child. 
you belong? Or are you in a place, perhaps like the Transfiguration, where you are entering or are in great challenge, difficult times, pain, perhaps betrayal? And do you need those words? Close your eyes. I just want to read over you and me these words from Scripture to reassure us that we belong. You are my beloved child. Do not fear. I am with you. You are precious in my sight. I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. I am with you. I am mighty to save. My banner over you is love. I will take great delight in you and quiet you with my love. I will rejoice over you with singing. Thank you, Father, that you own us, that you embrace us, accept us with your amazing love. We rest in it today. Thank you. Now I want you to look at the questions in the box. And I want you to think first about the third one. Is there someone in your life who needs to hear these loving words of acceptance from you? Because you see, we have the opportunity to be Christ's hands and feet to be his voice speaking into the lives of others. And there are people in our lives, in our ministries, who need to hear, you are loved, you belong, I'm pleased with you. Who might that be in your life? A son or a daughter, a spouse, a neighbor, a coworker, a ministry partner, somebody who's gonna go out into difficulty perhaps, or temptation, someone who's going to walk in the hardness of the journey, maybe a kid who's going out to school, which is all of those things, and needs to hear from you before they leave the house that morning, you are mine. I love you. I couldn't be more pleased with who you are. If someone comes to mind, write their name down, because I don't want you not to, to remember. I want you to think about who you could bless with those words, okay? And then we're going to talk in small groups, twos. I mean, you can just be with a person next to you if you want to, or maybe threes if you can huddle. <coughs> but I want you to ask that second question. How does the ministry I serve in offer loving acceptance to those I serve and those who serve with me? So who are we serving and are we giving that message? You are loved. There's a place at the table for you. You're embraced. You belong. I'm pleased that you're here. So I want you to talk for a few minutes, twos, threes, however it works out, okay? Now, talk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
ministries are giving that message that those they serve or those they serve with are lovingly embraced. What are some of the things you heard? Just say it again, Mary. Okay. Um, what are some of the things you heard in terms of how are the ministries that you're serving in giving that message of loving acceptance to those you serve or those you serve with? How do you do that? How are you doing that? I I think you must be. <laughs> so what were you saying to each other just <laughs> And I'm wondering if it was about lunch plans. <laughs> so okay, somebody be brave and say Oh, there you go, Jana. Um when I am participating in my ministry, I feel like I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do exactly that. But I also feel like it pours into me with the people that I'm working with, because when we gather, we, as I said to Linda, it's like a love fest. 
to the Lord and between us. So it pours into me, it pours out of me, but it's by the power of God. And what I want to work on is to do that more in my daily life, not just during my ministry. Hallelujah. And wouldn't our spouses and neighbors and friends and relatives be glad if that was true? And you know, she brings up a really important point. This is power of the Holy Spirit stuff. So in the cycle of grace, I want you to put the power is the Holy Spirit because it's the indwelling Christ that makes that possible. This is not, otherwise, we're back to the circle of works, right? Where it's what I dream up and engender. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed is uh, to be able to really extend the love and acceptance in a meaningful and substantial way, I've got to hear people's anxieties first. So I think the times when I felt most used by the Spirit in speaking God's loving grace, just affirmation, is when there's been space for that person to feel like they can actually show their cards. Because when people show their cards, you see what their anxieties are, you see what their really their fears are. It's in that moment where we can either hurt people or really help people with the gospel. Right. So, so good. Yeah. That giving space for the other person and safety, because safety is required for somebody to open up and tell their story. Yeah. Oftentimes we make our love conditional. Like with our kids, if they don't behave the way we want them to, or they don't get our love because they're not living the righteous standards of God, you know, and that's not an easy thing to do to overcome. Yeah. Is to love them in spite of their behavior. And uh, so that's always a challenge to love by Christ. It certainly is. Did you all hear that? Yeah, it certainly is. And think of how many people are wounded and actually stay in the cycle of works because the only time they've received any kind of verbiage or affirmation that you are loved, you belong, is when they've met some kind of standard. Think of how many kids are that way. Yes? Anytime we have any kind of program or like especially thinking like leadership or how to be better at something, then we automatically sort of have standards and then in the church and it it more parachurch kind of things and levels and uh, then automatically it seems like we set up things to be um, cycle of works. Yes. Because it is because in those things it's like, well, you know, if you want to be a leader at this level, well then this is kind of what you'd be like. And you, and you get praised if you are, and if you're not, it's like, well, then you're not really what we're looking for exactly. Right, you can't come to this table. Yeah, yeah. Which is sort of, I'm not sure that's wrong, that part of you, that you're not at doing a certain role because it's, uh, because it's really about gifts and things like that, not about mm-hmm. performance. But I, I think, gosh, almost everything I see that's a, that looks like uh, a way to grow people. In the in the church or outside the church, uh, is dangerously close to encouraging cycle works. You're right. Isn't it's a way, It's a catch twenty two, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's why it has to be the spirit. It has to be the spirit, and what we give has to come from that place. That what I give to you is not love based on what you do. It's love because you are you. 
made in God's image. See, this is Imago Dei stuff. That in every person, believer or not, is the Imago Dei. And they may not have, that may not be regenerated in them. They may not have begun a journey towards Christ. Nevertheless, they are made in this image. And to honor that in people, and to say that I can love you, I can make space for you in my life. I think um, Cookie talked about that in terms of um, a spirit of hospitality that's within, that says I'm space inside of you that's not crowded out by my me, so that you can come in and be safe in me and in our relationship and experience God's love. Because it's God's love, isn't it? Yes, Katie. And along that line, one of the things that Doug and I are catching ourselves and exploring and all that is language. So we're not, people don't really feel comfortable or welcome if we have to use language like believer. You know, I mean, we have to be careful of our language if we're going to really be available and for people to know that we really do care. It's not getting fit in a box. That's right. That's right. Which is why we're trying to change the language of, I mean, just for us, so that we're not hampered by baggage with language. Well, we better move on. Oh, okay, one more. I wanted to just mention that, you know, in the context of that question, oftentimes the people that tend to be left out are the people that are on a serving team. Everybody is doing a bunch of work, and those people that are on the team, who's asking them the questions? Mm -hmm. You know, who's paying attention to them? I thought that was a good question. Yeah, yeah. And if you head up any kind of ministry, that's your responsibility is to find ways to lovingly embrace the people on your team and to be able to ask them those questions and not assume that they are just there to work. Okay, because that's not... Yeah, Karen. I had noted that, and I mean, it started in my mind in the context of Royal Family, but I think it transfers everywhere, that when we do lovingly embrace those we work with, those we minister to sort of naturally get that. You know what I mean? So, so kind of like what Cookie was saying, we're caring for the team properly. That is naturally going to flow to the ones we're ministering. Yeah, that's what Janice said too. It just it, God puts it in, and then He recycles it. Grace is recycled. I love it. Okay, but but turn the page. <laughs> Jesus didn't live on two messages, did He? Or well, at least we assume not. And and we can assume that because He had a pattern to His life. Uh, that kept him in that sweet spot, shall we say. And we can have that same kind of pattern in our lives too. So how did Jesus live then? Well, he lived in communion with Abba, Father. And if you look at John 5, it talks. he talks about how he and the Father are just like this. And he says what he hears the Father saying. He does what the Father's doing and is up to. In other words, he is in close communion with the Father. And their lives are intertwined. So that's one way. And he also has a life rhythm. He gives out, but he 
pulls back. He gives out and he pulls back. We, if we had the time, we'd be, read the Mark passage, but that's where, you know, he, he goes and um, he's had a full day of healing. He goes to Peter's home, heals the mother-in-law, and all, but early in the morning, while it was still dark, he gets up and withdraws. And we see that pattern in his life again and again. It's not just that one time. We see it again and again where he moves out in ministry and gives it all away and then moves back for restoration. And even sometimes when he moves back, he's giving it out, isn't he? Because he's ministering to those disciples around him. But Jesus is always conscious of this pattern of giving out and receiving, giving out and receiving. And of course then, he engaged in many spiritual practices. So let's just generate our own list from your memory. Um, what are some of the spiritual practices, we could call them spiritual disciplines, that Jesus engaged in throughout his life? What were some of the ways in which he practiced this communion with God? Speak. Prayer. Prayer. Okay. He loved others. He loved others. He was in relationship. He related. This is key. Worship. Yeah, he didn't give up on the church. There have been times I have wanted to give up in the church. There was a period of time in our lives when we decided we didn't need the church. We could just do uh you know, parachurch kind of thing. We were deeply involved in Young Life, and we had a great team of people around us, and it was just joyous and wonderful. But we discovered we had to come back to church. At some point, we had to come back to church. Um, Jesus worshipped in a church that was deeply flawed, led by people who would condemn and kill him. We don't have it that bad here. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Right. So for all <laughs> we have a promise from Matt. <laughs> so I mean every church you can find things wrong, right? So rather than focusing there, let's focus on what we're called together to be and do. Because the church is made up of people like you and me. So it will always have its weaknesses. Too bad. Get over it. Move on. It's a place where God's called us together because we need each other. And this uh, relates back to what she said about uh, he was in loving relationships. What else did he do? Times of quiet meditation and listening. Yes. Silence and solitude. Fasting. Fasting. Well, not, no, I don't know if he fasted, but he might have. We don't read about it, but he says fasting will be for his people once he's gone. He did miracles, and I'm still working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's part of what he did. <laughs> okay. Bible, Bible study. Bible study. He knew the scriptures, right? Anything else? <clears throat> the spiritual practice for me is confession, and I don't know that Jesus did. You know what? If we think of confession as saying, I'm bad, then probably he didn't. <laughs> but if we think of confession as you practiced it Wednesday night with examine, it is a way of seeing God's action in and around you, confessing where you are in that, confessing how you relate with that. Right. I think he did. Yeah. So Jesus was very in tune with that. Confession isn't just about bad. It's about all that we are. 
agreeing with God. Yes, Jenny. I was going to say that the outworking, I don't know if this is where you want to go with it, but he spoke up when things were not according to what his father said, like to the Pharisees, and also overturning the tables of the money changers. Right, and that might be a spiritual discipline. I don't know, but but for certain, it came from the intimacy he had with the Father because he knew what was right. So he was one who walked in grace and truth, which is why we got to walk in grace and truth. Uh-huh. He forgave. He forgave. A spiritual practice. Wow. Now, spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines are simply things that we can do in order to make room for God to do what only he can do. You see, you can't make yourself be more loving unless you are into works. You can look loving, but you can't make yourself be that. Those are things that are engendered in us through the Spirit. And those are things that we have to make room in our lives for so God can do the work. This is Holy Spirit stuff. You want to be like Jesus? There's not a checklist. You want to be like Jesus, be conformed to his image? There's not a magic formula. There's no silver bullet. It is making space in your life through the practices, these spiritual practices, so that God can do those things in you, so that you will become like Jesus. Uh, I love Dallas Willard. something that he talks about in one of his books. He says, it's not what would Jesus do. It is what kind of person would do what Jesus did. Because God's into remaking a person. He's not into, you know, reforming our checklist. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why spiritual growth or spiritual formation, discipleship, whatever you want to call it, is not a list of things we can check off. It is growth in the inner life, which happens because the Spirit works in our releasing of who we are to Him to make us more like Jesus. We've got to keep going here. Okay, so... Okay, so so I have this list on the board um, because I think it's I think it's helpful to think about what am I current and there I wanted it to come down. That was a I was just gonna get that for you. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, so um, so I want you to think for a minute uh, about spiritual practice. I just put some up here, and, and I'm going to turn you loose with each other in a minute to ask those questions. But you know, there are spiritual hold there. There are spiritual practices that work for you and uh, with the Spirit at certain points in your life, and then at another point in your life, they may not be uh, as uh, helpful to you, and there are ones maybe that you've never thought of before. And if you engaged, they might take you in new places in your walk. So I just wrote some things up, and is it this in the way? Okay, sort of. But so I'll read, but it doesn't matter because it's not a final list. But some of the practices might be around prayer, like praise, 
I forget now what, oh, thanksgiving and petition. So maybe your prayer life this week, and, and that would be a spiritual practice that you would begin to focus on that and ask God to develop that in you. Or perhaps intercessory prayer is something that you feel like, that's something God's calling me to. I'm not quite sure how that's different from what I've been doing, but I really would love to become a real intercessor. Then where do I go? How can I learn more about that? How can I engage in that more? Contemplative prayer, which is a prayer of gazing at God. Um, the Word, we can study it, and in a Bible church, I assume that you all study the Word. But there's another kind of uh, reading of the Word, which is reflective reading, called Lectio Divina, where you let the Word read you, and you allow it to sink in, and you allow it to become a conversation between you and God. And so you're asking God things like, how does this interact with my life right where I am today? What is it that this is speaking to me about who you are and how you want me to engage in my world? And of course, there's memory. In the old days, people did a lot more of this, I think, than we do now. Um, and uh, the older you get, the harder it is. So if you're young, put it all in now. <laughs> and what you remember when you get older is what you put in when you were younger, right? Yeah. Okay. Worship. But does that only mean singing songs and coming to church? What if worship meant an all-of-life kind of thrust? Wow. How would I engage in that? Fasting. From what and for what? I tell this story about my my major fasting experience. When Armin went away for three months to Africa, and I didn't drive him out, by the way. It was a choice, and he was on mission. But at, when he went, I decided, I'm going to turn off that TV. And I did for three months. Hallelujah. It was glorious. I read books that I'd always wanted to read. Things like um, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek and those kinds of things. Things that challenged my faith and grew me. It was just wonderful. I listened to music that stirred my soul. And all the time I had wasted on TV, I was just engaged in God thought. And it was wonderful. I'm not doing that now, by the way. <laughs> he came home. No. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> oh, I would never tell. Oh, no. Uh-oh. There's a, there's a mole in the group. Okay. <laughs> Celebration. Something that we don't do so much sometimes when we are uh, evangelicals. <laughs> too, too grumpy about the life, but celebrations. Jesus celebrated. He went to weddings. He partied. And because he knew the God who built the universe and laughed and sang, he could do that. We can too. Okay, silence and solitude. They are the crux. They are disciplines that every believer should experience and practice on some kind of regular basis because in the silence and in the solitude God has a chance to get your attention. Now I took care of my mom for almost four years in our home and she couldn't get out much and because uh, she needed someone at the home at all times to watch her because she was crafty. Um, I was home a lot 
And I thought, great, I've got this opportunity for silence and solitude. And what I discovered was silence is not the absence of noise and solitude is not the absence of people. And I began to learn that silence and solitude have to do with an inner disposition that I could experience those even in a crowd if my mind and heart were right. Okay, personal retreats, confession, which I challenge you to think more of as examine, where you agree with God about life and about who you are and who he is and what he's doing, and you begin to look for him in the moments of your daily life, because that will help you live like him when you see how he is at work. Okay, Sabbathing, I made a verb out of it, because, because it is a verb. Sabbathing is letting go of your desire to manage and control life so that God can be in control. What a concept. Okay, listening, as Matt said, that is a discipline, and for some more of a discipline than for others, true, but listening, is not just being quiet. Listening is receiving. And then journaling. Now, I want you to take a few minutes and I want you to uh, talk with your partners about what spiritual practices you're now engaged in and whether or not they're keeping you close to the heart of God's love. Because if they're not doing that, if they are simply something you do, it could be a sign of works. Okay, so talk. Now's talk. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
And then what does my ministry point to? And I have to cut you fairly short, so you have to be on target with your talking this time. Okay, share the space, but you'll only get about three minutes. Okay, go for it. because it's not spiritual in nature, okay? But spiritual fruit is the result of good works. And we want to look at the meaning of fruit bearing because we're always producing fruit in what we do. What kind of fruit is the issue? Now, you have to, well, for me anyway, this became this giant metaphor again, and I love metaphors, so I just got really into it when I was studying for retreat. And hence the drawing that Leslie Dubas did for me. But the point is that fruit is not the important part. Fruit in the natural world encloses, gives space for the seed to grow, and nourishes the seed, right? Until the seed is ripe and ready to reproduce life. Are you getting the metaphor? Wow. So we do works that produce fruit. But what is the seed? Because the seed is what matters. Now in the scriptures, the seed is the word of God. And think about the the, uh, the parable of the five kinds of soils. So he explains to the disciples that the seed that was scattered was the word of God. And then you think about back in Genesis, where uh, Adam and Eve are told that the seed of Eve would come up against Satan, and he would crush Satan's head, right? Who was the seed? Jesus. 
And then we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word, the seed, was God. And who is the Word? Jesus. Jesus. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The seed is what's important. Our fruit, just like in nature, becomes the dispersal system for the seed. So your good works produce fruit, but if that fruit does not bear the seed of Jesus, then it's pretty useless. The seed of Jesus is the seed of life, isn't it? I think this is so exciting because for me it took it took away this um, terrible burden that I felt about being a witness. You know, well, I have to be an evangelist. You know, this is scary. This is not me. You know, and then I began to realize as I studied the metaphor of fruit that. If my fruit carries the seed of Jesus, it carries life. And the seed in the natural world starts new life to grow. Isn't that exciting to think that when I am kind and patient and giving, when I experience and am experiencing with you joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, all the fruits of the Spirit, that in those lies the seed of Jesus because they are spiritually grown fruit. Isn't that exciting? So I can be, of course I have to speak the words. Of course I do when I have those opportunities. But you know what? Every time I move out in life, every time I'm with you and I am living in the spirit, the seed of Jesus is being dispersed. And the opportunity for new life to grow is there. Is that not a hallelujah? Do I hear an amen? Yeah. Isn't that exciting to think? And this is Jesus. You see, fruit comes from the whole cycle of grace. Being accepted by the Father brings a certain kind of fruit to your life. Because you live differently. You live as one who is loved, and you give love. Life, life comes from that. Okay, I, I do the, the spiritual disciplines. What comes from that grows. The, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit develops in me. What comes from that? Opportunity for life to be transmitted and grown. This is not exciting. To me, it's like, wow, here in this little metaphor is hidden such a wonderful truth that in my words, in my deeds, whatever it might be, in my very presence, in my very presence, just being, <coughs> fruit is growing. And in the fruit, because I love Jesus, there's the seed of life. Wow. Amen. Okay, Matt, you better come up and grab them while they're hot. Okay. <laughs> By the way, look up all the scriptures on, oh, it's so exciting to read about that, the tree and the fruitfulness and all. Okay, I'll stop now. No, you're great. You are like. <laughs>
told you. All right. Well, but sprightly. Sprightly. Yeah, sprightly. Well, hey, uh, I just want to say I'm very excited that you guys have made this investment in your walk with Jesus over a Wednesday night and a Sunday morning. I understand that it costs you, it costs you time, and commitments commitments cost us. But this is this is a, a hopefully a worthwhile one for you. Uh, we're excited about this. We're excited about where we're headed as a church. Uh, as we grow in our clarity on what it means to follow Jesus as a community of, of growing faith and radical love and, and relevant hope. And so what 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 we're excited about, too, is you all are a room of influencers. Right? You, you might not realize it, or, or maybe you know it really firmly, but, but you influence. And we're excited to have you with us and to be in it. Jump into the stream of, of fruitfulness that's rooted in a cycle of grace. Uh, join us on this journey that we're, we're describing, and uh, to be to be a champion of this journey with us. <coughs> Are you in? Mm-hmm. You feel like you can advocate for them in your own life and for others. It's awesome. So here's here's what I want to do. Uh, as as we look at being not just fruitful people but a fruitful church, I want to make five asks. I'll try to do it relatively quickly, so they will be somewhat rapid fire asks. So uh, here, here's what I want to ask of you. First of all, um, could you put this into practice? Right. Let's let like recognize that we only grow when we actually exercise and implement the stuff we know. Right? And just knowing it won't actually get it done. I just watched the John Wayne movie with my kids where. Uh, somebody says sorry to John Wayne and he just goes sorry doesn't get it done dude (laughs) Uh, I I don't know why I'm talking about this but what gets it done is when we we actually do it right we actually do this stuff so let's put it into practice and one of the things that helps I've noticed is if you've been a Christian for a while you grow this inoculation that's scary, right? Because there, there's this presumption in our hearts that, like, I should be, right? There's this should be in us that prevents us from being honest with where we're at. There's a should be. Well, I should. I know this. I I should be really, you know, competent in my prayer life. I should be doing the disciplines, or I should. Whatever your should be's are, prevent you sometimes from acknowledging the fact. That we're all actually novices when it comes to Christ likeness. And that, that, so let's start with this baseline assumption that we're actually novices on this journey. And we gotta give each other permission to be. Right? So like drop the should be's and let's just start with where we actually are, which is we're novices in the way of Jesus. And so that helps us be a little bit more honest about where we're at with our implementation. And be okay with it and offer grace there. So um yeah, so put this into action as a novice, put this into action as someone who's responsible for what you've just grown in knowledge of. You know, this is one of the things that scares me about learning stuff, is I become responsible for it. And so I love learning stuff. I don't always love being responsible for things. So but as we learn these things, let's let's make sure we're we're putting them into action because we're actually responsible for what we just learned. Here's my second ask. Would you would you Make the cycle of grace a lens for life. Uh, a lens. Right. Uh, make it a lens for how you see one another. We started the journey off with Gabby talking to us about uh, difference. 
right? And how we are different in Christ. Here's here's why the cycle of grace is so profound. It, it doesn't just relate to who who I see myself as, but how I see others, right? And so it's great to live in the cycle of grace yourself, but then really quickly, it's it's easy to put others in the cycle of works. Oh boy, you blew it. Oh man, you're weird. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got to prove to me that you're significant. You've got to prove to me that I should accept you. You've got to prove to me uh, that you're the kind of person I want to give grace to. And so if we can apply the cycle of grace to relationships, just to say, hey, you're different than me. You're you're not necessarily my first choice from somebody that I want to be in community with, which is, by the way, like the definition of community is, it, according to Henri Nouwen, is it's where the, 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 the person you least want to be with is, right? Like that's, that's community. <laughs> so, uh, because that person becomes an agent of transformation. <laughs> anyway, okay, so let's, let's look at each other through the cycle of grace. So we just baseline, let's accept each other. That doesn't mean you have to like everything or affirm everything. There's a difference between acceptance and affirmation, right? And if you can live with that, those two things in your head, and go like, well, I, I accept my kids. I don't affirm every attitude that I see in my kids. I accept my wife. She accepts me. I know there's things she doesn't affirm about me, right? Whether it's snoring or, you know, just every time I forget something that she asks me to pay attention to. Right? Um, okay, those are the first two asks. Another ask is this. We, this is in preparation. This is, this is actually a prep, this whole thing. Um, it's a training, and we hope it adds value to your life, period, no matter what, wherever you are. It's also strategic in that uh, it's first in a sequence of a couple things that we have planned. So the next thing we have planned is a mentoring class on how to take the stuff of the journey and the cycle of grace and actually pour it out into someone else. This is important for us to walk ourselves but then next step is, how do we become those multiplying type of people who actually fulfill God's great commission and actually walk alongside others and transfer the kind of life that we've been offered in Christ and are experiencing in Him? Uh, so first of all, this fall looks like, hey, think about being a mentor. Um, second piece is we're going to do a, a, a fall teaching series on spiritual formation on this, this journey. Uh, we're going to call it Emmaus. We're excited about it, and it's, uh, it's really about uh, Luke 24 and that the, the discoveries on that road as the risen Christ comes alongside the disciples and some of the practices that we, we find there. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Unfortunately, our church is growing. Man, it's just like such a bummer. <laughs> and uh, we just, man, it stinks because we just have no place to put people. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're very happy that our church is growing. The cool thing is, and in suburbia, when you have a really great kids ministry, your church automatically grows, even if the speaking is mediocre. And so you have... Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, don't know, I don't know where to go with that. Um, so, no, the great thing is our church is growing, and we want to, we want to make room. For everyone who comes in our doors, we want to make relational space for people, and we want to make not only relational space but spiritual formation space, and that happens in relationship. And so, our main vehicle for that is community groups. That's where we say, "Hey, hey, great, enjoy Sundays, but connect deeply in a group." 
and grow with people in a group. Talk about this stuff in a group. Um, so the problem is we have less groups than we have people coming in. And the reason we have less groups is because we have less leaders than we actually need in order to host groups. Are you with the logic so far? <laughs> Where do you think I'm going? <laughs> I'd love to invite you to consider hosting or leading a group. The great thing is you can get your feet wet with an eight, nine week commitment. Uh, you can do anything for nine weeks. Uh, and then you might actually like it enough to do it again. But for this fall series, we would love to make enough space for every single person who walks in the door this fall as we continue to grow as a church to be able to have people experience significant relationships because that's what keeps people staying at our church uh, and then being able to join us in ministry with us as a church and multiply as a church. Are you with me? So this isn't like, this party ain't for us. Are you, are you with me? Yeah. This is not our party. We're here to be hosts for God's party, which is, he's got invitations out to the end of the year. So we want to be good table hosts alongside him. So consider leading the group consider being a mentor and then uh, last one is this I, l I love getting together with other pastors and they brag about like the cool things that they're doing in the city and we did this social justice thing or we had all these people get baptized at Easter and like yeah we had people get baptized at Easter here's what I want to brag about next time I hang out with other pastors from our city I want to say you know what and that's great that your church is doing all those things and I, here's what happens when we email our leaders they email us back. <laughs> when we throw a meeting, they show up. Right? So, I, my last ask is, would you just stay in sync with us? Um, so as we communicate about opportunities, and you're saying, oh man, I, I'm interested in that, would you just, just stay in sync? Just read emails. We'll try to make them bullet points for you. There, you'll get a very long email in response to this training, but it's a good one. Um, just stay in sync with us. That would be my last ask. All right, let me pray for you. Thank you so much for making this investment in your relationship with Jesus and in your church community. So again, you're up up next. Last next things coming up next are mentoring training, and then our our fall study. So we would love for you to consider mentoring. And by mentoring, we just mean intentionally walking alongside another person uh, and passing on the way of Jesus. And then uh, leading a community group really just meaning walking through what we're teaching on Sunday mornings and getting it to to, to action and to life with people. All right, let me pray. God, thanks for your grace and and profound goodness, and we just thank you for. Mary's words of encouragement and just the life of Jesus that we get to look in at and say that's true humanity and that's what you've invited us into and that's what you've put in us as you've regenerated our hearts through the Holy Spirit so we look forward to, to growing with you and um, sharing in, in your ever increasing glory uh, that is at work in us through your, the agency of your spirit in Jesus name Amen last thing I'll say is if you are interested in reading more about this kind of stuff Here's my short reading list. Um, uh, just companions for the journey. Some great reads. If you are interested, I'll leave this right up here. Blessings. Okay.